if you're in your 20s, you might see things differently, but at some stages of your life, you might not want to be exposed as the CFO who was part of a, fail of a failure because that's part of the reality of a lot of startups. Um, um, you know, Elaine, one third of companies uh, lack cash. Um, so as a finance professional, it is a very difficult situation to deal with professionally and personally because it is diametrically the opposite of what CFOs are used to or what they were trained for. Um, so what it entails in short is a very different mindset. Therefore, transitioning, like some good things in life can take time and I would not recommend to somebody who is not ready to take that path. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is an investor, advisor, and serial entrepreneur with two decades experiencing the financial sector. His global reach extends from Switzerland to Latin America. Known for having a direct, witty, and sometimes blunt approach to business, this will be a very insightful conversation. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Jerome Brassi is the founder of JB Venture Services, an advisory firm based in Switzerland with a global reach. He's a seasoned international finance and project executive with a strong background in CFO roles, startup advisory, funding and expertise spanning diverse sectors such as insurance, insurtech, fintech, green tech, biotech, cryptos, NFTs and the metaverse. He possesses a global perspective, having worked in Switzerland, the US, Latin America, Europe and Israel. His achievements, including driving the scale-up of a fintech in tech venture and securing 1.5 million euros for an ad tech project, setting a European pre-seed funding record. He currently advises fintech, biotech, NFT and AI startups in Switzerland, the US, Israel, France and Brazil. His diverse interests encompass finance, sustainability, technology and art, making him always ready for impactful discussions and collaborations. As an Harvard Business School alumni and a member of the Harvard Clubs in Zurich, Paris, London and New York City, he excels in dynamic, uncertain environments with a global mindset. Let's now have a conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jerome to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elaine. Okay. Um, I want to kickstart this episode with this. Um, as mentioned in the introduction, you have 20 years experience in finance and and the financial sector. In our preliminary conversations, you talked about uh, CFOs having having to, to act in a counterintuitive way. Uh, um, I wonder what that means. Are there different types of CFOs or is that a marketing myth? Sure, Elaine. Um, during my professional life, I have been lucky enough to be surrounded by outstanding marketers. So I wouldn't like to upset any of them by trying to define what is marketing myth versus reality. Mm -hmm. um, but jokes aside, what I can share with you though is that Based on my experience, it all depends on the stage, industry, and size of a company. 
Um, so you might encounter more traditional type of CFO that typically focuses on financial reporting, compliance, and risk management, or a more strategic CFO um, who is generally more focused on long-term growth strategies, working closely with the CA level execs or more senior people in the organization. And the third one that I would define as a more operational CFO, more focused on day-to-day -day finance operations. Now, regarding a startup CFO, um, as you know, they typically wear multiple hats mm -hmm. and they do have a broader role from fundraising to operations uh, with different levels of engagement and intensity during the stage of or life cycle of the company. Um, so tasks typically range from creating and managing budgets, forecasting revenues, expenses, analyzing data, building and scaling the finance and IT infrastructure that supports transparency and decision-making. Mm -hmm. But the CFO plays a key and critical role in fundraising, investor relation, and, and helps the company to navigate within the previously mentioned items, which are legal and compliance requirements. So in order to circle back to your open question, um, what CFOs need is a good marketing mix, if I may use the expression, with a combination of four main skills. Um, the obvious, which is, of course, a strong financial and analytical skills. Mm -hmm. um, I would say strategic thinking by anticipating risks and opportunities. Uh, and uh, as we all know, this is a very important uh, um, task as of today. Mm -hmm. Communication skills um, to effectively communicate with multiple stakeholders. And last but not least, a very strong business acumen. Um, so that's why in today's economy, I believe so much in the strategic role of a CFO, if he can juggle effectively all mm -hmm. the previously mentioned aspects without detaching himself or with his team from the overall goal of the organization, which is to at minima meet the needs and wants of its customers. Mm -hmm. Staying with CFOs, you've worked in the corporate environment for a number of years and now fully in the startup um, entrepreneurial environment, venture capitalist space, if, if you like. Can a corporate CFO transition into an entrepreneurial CFO? And what does that entail? Well, absolutely. Like all senior executives, uh, Elaine, they can transition from a corporate to a more entrepreneurial environment, but it involves uh, differences in terms of responsibilities, as you can imagine. Uh, most importantly, uh, I am saying that also based on my own personal experience, because mm -hmm. I did transition from blue chip organizations um, to what I would call a more radical uh, change of mindset. So I, I'd get back to that later. But regarding responsibilities, the executive um, might require new skills mm -hmm. uh, by, for example, quickly understanding um, a rapidly evolving business and, of course, the business model. Um, mm -hmm. So as a CFO, it is really something that you need to get a very quick grasp on it regarding all the dynamics of it. And, and again, um, the evolution, trends, um, opportunities and risks, once again, that entails to um, this never ending concept of evolution of a business model. Uh, but at the same time, to think strategically, to communicate effectively and to be able to take risks while yeah. still being flexible. So as you can imagine, um, again, some of the previously mentioned skills are potentially very counterintuitive for people that are used to, to numbers and comfortable with logic 
and to get things square because that's what we were trained for. Um, So transitioning from a corporate to entrepreneurial CFO, um, what I do know is that it will definitely take you out of your comfort zone and dealing with very unstable environment is not for everybody. Um, but that reason is, is also valid in the other direction, Elaine. So I guess that also transitioning from a more entrepreneurial uh, organization mm-hmm. to a more blue chip organization and or to follow that life cycle between brackets that the startup is following uh, is also an interesting um, concept, uh, knowing that I do believe that you might require different professionals or different senior executives at the different stages of the organization. Mm-hmm. A CFO in a pre-seed organization is a totally different, again, mindset and ball game than the one in a series A, B, and et cetera. And this is why most very often you do see changes within the organization um, as the result of, uh, of that. Um, last but not least, and I would say that another thing which is also important, um, is the way um, um, CFOs in startups are mitigating risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and stating the obvious here, of course, the cultural fit. Um, so, you know, in, if you're in your 20s, you might see things differently, but at some stages of your life, you might not want to be exposed as the CFO who was part of a, fail- of a failure because that's part of the reality of a lot of startups. Um, um, you know, Elaine, one third of companies uh, lack cash. Um, so as a finance professional, it is a very difficult situation to deal with professionally and personally because it is diametrically the opposite of what CFOs are used to or what they were trained for. Um, so what it entails in short is a very different mindset, therefore transitioning like some good things in life can take time and I would not recommend to somebody who is not ready to take that path. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's interesting, what's come across, I think you talked about it, or you mentioned it at least a couple of times from my memory, mm-hmm. you talked about communication and that being more of a key skill um, as a CFO, more so than the the number crunching, which is one one expects. And I, and I want to ask, um, how was the entrepreneurial CFO morphed with with the advent of the digital age, which probably takes over a lot of the, the number crunching, how have you got have you got any examples or stories to show their adaptation? Sure. So if if I think for a second about the digital age, um, of course we'll be facing topics like data analysis. Um, so we all know that the data has not only increased. Uh, but that quality, finding dependencies, logics, and insights are crucial in order to properly analyze, digest, and take business decisions. So having at least a basic understanding of data analysis um, tools, architecture, and techniques are, are, are key in the CFO new type of role slash digital age. Then, of course, technology, um, because a good question here is how can you leverage technology in order to improve your financial processes and always trying to give insights to the business, right? So you're not the good old bean counter from, from the seventies. Um, this is what you're paid for and what you're expected to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two other things that I would think of is digital finance 
Um, and I have a quick a, a couple of examples regarding that um, in the sense that some uh, organizations are very smart uh, at leveraging um, not only the tools, but the architectures, um, the architecture, sorry, that is behind okay. the system that they did put in place initially and that they can scale very quickly. What I'm getting to is that today there is not a perfect or a secret recipe for any organization. I think that's part of the responsibility of each organization to find their own, of course, solutions to that. And there is different ways of approaching that function. Um, for example, what I do see very often um, um, is, for example, what we would call a fractional CFO, yep. which is, for example, a very senior uh, um, um, executive and or somebody who has lots of experience and who can bring actually not only that knowledge but also his or her network uh, to the organization and what i do believe in is how smart and how quickly you could actually uh, have an impact on the organization so what i'm getting to uh, elaine is that nowadays you can work with remote teams obviously uh, of different sizes, leveraged by technology, but most importantly, it's all about how smart you can work in that organization. And there is a correlation between the amount of time that you're spending in this or in any organization mm -hmm. and how much you produce and or how much value you can add. And this is what I do see, uh, actually, um, people working in different organizations, even at, with different time zones and or sometimes uh, working for different types of industries mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in a fragmented way. So I know that it might sound a little bit pejorative, but I can see that as a big help and, and, and a, a huge accelerator when we're getting into the topics that I was probably mentioning. Okay. Um, yeah. And last but not least, maybe uh, around uh, the digital age, uh, it is uh, something that we didn't touch base um, since the beginning of of our exchange, but it has a lot to do with, of course, fundraising. Um, things have drastically changed over the last few months, um, but nevertheless, there is new ways of of including that process. So, for example, the way of approaching investors uh, that can also be a distance, and yes. also the way you do fundraise your your organization with cryptocurrencies and or different type of assets. I think that this is also a massive change that I've seen happening over the last uh, few years. I think that's a, that's a positive change too, because you can get investors from China by a Zoom call rather than have to physically do a pitch in their offices. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 again, it's how how quickly and and how um, insightful uh, could or can be this organization that you're that you're building. Again, mm -hmm. in a very dynamic world. So, of course, flexibility, adaptability, those are some of the skills that I was mentioning before. But this is one of the aspects which is crucial as an organization and or as a finance um, department. Mm -hmm. Let's continue with, I mean, you talked about the changes that digitalization has brought. Let's continue with that. And there are many global incidents happening all at once in this current time. Yes. Climate change, war in Ukraine, and a hell of a lot of uncertainty with a lot of things. Sticking with the technology in the current digital age, how has tech showed up with 
the current market uncertainties for example you know within fintech biotech neurotech etc where do you see them adding value like never before mm -hmm. well I, what i can share with you though is that uncertainties do benefit the most innovative creative and risk averse type of uh, of ecosystems um so as an entrepreneur uh, of course you might view that more as an opportunity than a, than a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but regarding fintech, um, the evolution or, or, or what I do see uh, currently, and this is uh, for all geographies, actually, because when we talk about uncertainties and, 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 and the words you were mentioning, Elaine, before, mm -hmm. the use of digital payments and mobile banking has become increasingly uh, common in challenging geographic areas. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is a reality. You can see that um, on the, the African continent. You can see it in Asia. You can see that in 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 areas where again the level of uncertainty is very high. Yeah. Um, but also in the health tech uh, um, space with telemedicine, for example, in order to provide medical services remotely, uh, which is a huge reality nowadays, uh, more than a trend. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the two main examples or, or, or views that I do see regarding fintech, intratech, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the, the health tech. Um, again, um, leveraging what I was mentioning before, but most importantly, how creative um, entrepreneurs are. And interestingly enough, Elaine, sometimes you do see businesses being developed um, in those countries or geographic areas. Yeah sometimes uh, replicated and or what I would call a, a, a copycat of that business model. So I, I can imagine that in a common in the coming years you might see actually a lot of innovation coming uh, from this high level of an uncertainty because uh, the, the solutions are not only smart and creative mm -hmm. uh, but also the business model is very easily scalable and understandable. Mm -hmm. That has a lot of appeal uh, from an investor perspective. That's something that you understand, uh, that you can learn, and where you do have strong foundations. If you can evolve in an uncertain uh, environment, imagine what you could do in a more stable environment. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the pace is different, but the foundations are strong and the business model is strong, and this is what we are all, all looking for. Let's continue talking about um, various geographical locations and what's happening there. Um, as stated in the introduction, your connections stretch from Switzerland to Latin America. Let's explore your American connections briefly. What are the exciting developments in the Latin American region in the tech space? I, I know it's a large space and a fairly general question. Um, <laughs> I'm happy for you to narrow it down to a particular area in the region. Yeah, sure. So, of course, the, 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 what I'm going to try to focus on is on the types of business that I'm the most knowledgeable of, uh, of course. And as you can, as you're rightly saying, Elaine, uh, geographically speaking, um, we're talking about uh, a very large space with mm -hmm. dynamics and or specificities that are very different from one country yeah. to another one. Um, and let's not, uh, of course, um, because you were mentioning the American 
continent. Um, what I'm going to focus on right now is on the Latin region and not uh, 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 Central America, uh, obviously, including Mexico. Okay, um, okay. So within the fintech space in Latin America, and more specifically in Brazil, uh, I do see um, in the fintech space a rapidly growing or still growing uh, market um, with several startups uh, also in the interest tech space, developing new financial products and services to serve, for example, the underbanked population in the region. And mm -hmm. remember what I was mentioning before about yeah. a difficult environments. Um, imagine a country like Brazil, uh, known for the high level of complexity of the economic environment that uh, Brazil has. Um, this is uh, one of the businesses and or activities that I do see happening today in the fintech or intertech space. Then, of course, mobile technology, because, of course, um, a lot of people in, in South America uh, use mobile technologies um, on their mobiles as their primary means of accessing the Internet, for example. So mobile apps are being developed in order to serve those needs. Uh, and again, you could make parallels with other countries in our regions around the world. Um, then the two last ones, or the two or three last ones, artificial intelligence, that's mm -hmm. a big thing, um, because the AI ecosystem with startups and large corporations investing in that field um, is, is, is very important today on the health tech space. Um, the access to healthcare and a high cost are, are, are a challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. some, some, so some startups are readdressing it with telemedicine, for example, and or other digital health um, solutions. Um, let me give you an example. Brazil has probably one, uh, for the ones who can afford it, of course, uh, one of the best uh, medical uh, uh, systems and mm -hmm. medical infrastructures that you can imagine. Um, but if you think about the amount or the percentage of the population that doesn't have access to, to those um, um, health care um, ecosystems um, of mm. course the potential is really huge uh, for, for for that population and finally um, blockchain uh, in the financial services because mm. on the top of improving the efficiency of the financial services again a lot of countries in, in Latin America were very protected markets uh, but there is a lot of development happening on the peer-to-peer -peer lending mm -hmm. and or in the digital assets uh, space um, from the management and trading of tokens, assets, and collect collectibles. So um, depending uh, on each Latin country, uh, I can tell you uh, that things are different, but moving at a very, 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 very fast pace. Um, uh, trend, mm -hmm. uh, and in particular in Brazil, and as a good oh, reminder, sorry, which, which one is leading? Would you say which one in that oh, space is leading? Brazil, would you say? Oh, oh sure, Br Brazil. And as a quick reminder uh, for all of us, Elaine, um, Brazil is the fifth largest country in the world, almost ninety percent of the size of the U of the USA, mm. um, and the seventh most populous country in the world. Um, so things are really going fast and opportunities are, are huge uh, in, in Brazil. Uh, just regarding the, the, the market potential, I'm talking here about um, the, the qualities, the interesting qualities of the professionals that I work with, mm -hmm. uh, which are absolutely outstanding professionals um, and very much 
uh, open and trained and or looking at the very best things that are happening around the world. Um, Asia, for example, uh, the Japanese community in, 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 in Sao Paulo is, is the biggest outside of, of Japan. Mm -hmm. So there is some very interesting dynamics happening uh, in Brazil and in particular a city that I know very well, which is uh, Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. And just uh, out of curiosity, you can always say pass to this question. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any sort of um, newer tech development either in Brazil or Argentina or or the, that part of the region in Latin America? Yes, in terms of ecosystem, um, well, there is two things happening in, in, in Brazil and or in Argentina. Uh, of course, the previous and or current governments um, are what I do know is that they are very supportive, uh, which facilitates a lot of uh, business opportunities, the, the current and the future business opportunities. Um, but what I do know is that the tech ecosystem um, is quickly developing. So in terms of number of startups, but not only in terms of volume, in terms of quality of the startups, but most importantly, the entire ecosystem that supports those organizations. I'm talking about venture capital firms and or large companies investing in Brazil, for example, Argentina. This is something happening and actually also happening from countries like Israel, um, some very niche uh, um, VC yeah. Uh, that you have very good knowledge based in Europe, investing also in Latin America, but also the US. Uh, I know a couple of people based in Florida and or based in New York and or in, in LA, um, mm -hmm. scrutinizing and looking very closely at opportunities in Brazil, in the fintech, intratech, uh, ag tech. New um, tech? Also, yes, of course. Um, e commerce. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and also cyber security, because as you can imagine, all the services um, that uh, we were mentioning before, um, Elaine, are following a rapidly growing uh, technology evolution and cyber security, sustainability yeah. type of, of, of topics are really yeah. um, in, in, in Brazil and Argentina in particular, but also Colombia. Okay, I just want to know: Do, do you know of a, a neurotech company called ActiPulse? I heard about them, Elaine, but can you tell me a, a little bit? Yeah, more? okay. They're based in Mexico, which is not quite sort of the Latin American region we're talking about, but more central. Mm -hmm. Based in Mexico and Boston, and they sort of specialize in non-invasive brain stimulation technology um, that used to treat depression disorder you know, tobacco addiction, Alzheimer's, that sort of stuff. I was wondering if there's an equivalent somewhere in Argentina or Brazil that you might know of or heard of or potentially, because you're in that space in these kind of startups looking for capital. And I was wondering if, if you've seen anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so of course, we can we, we can talk about that uh, later, uh, Elaine. And, and of course, I would be more than happy to to um to to talk with uh, with that organization or to see how I could help um but what I could tell you is that Argentina is very famous for one thing it has to do with technology so how can you leverage all uh the the skills 
uh, that this organization might need. Well, I'm talking about uh, EI, uh, AI, excuse me, mm -hmm. uh, and or all the type of IT type of infrastructures. You have very, you really have outstanding professionals based in in Buenos Aires at an, an outstanding mm -hmm. uh, cost slash quality. I'm sorry to use that expression, but uh, ratio. So I, I am mm -hmm. really outstanding. So so it's pretty much watch this space for that region for that kind of tech coming up. Perhaps we might need to have a, another conversation in a couple of years' time to see what has really developed and not just as a startup, but probably as a scale up in that space. Because I know things are exponentially growing. And I just want to ask, um, and, and, Jerome. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking also about, um, for sure, Brazil. Uh, this is a natural uh, market that um, should be, uh, yes, for sure, um, investigated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And the article that I forwarded to you, I think it was about two or three days ago, um, the move for a, a common currency between Argentina and Brazil, two of your previous homes. Um, yeah. What will that bring to both countries in the region? Yeah, I, and I think that it 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 might be also um, an interesting. Uh, point for the, the regarding the question that you were asking me about opportunities within that mm -hmm. region for for organizations that are based in in in, in the American continent, um, and then both countries, Argentina and Brazil, have a long history of economic uh, relations. Um, the reasoning behind it is that it would facilitate theoretically transactions between both countries and stabilize their economies. What's happening in Argentina is really interesting. For example, and as you know, Elaine, they've recently started using cryptos in official contracts. This move is to tackle macroeconomical problems that have been going on for decades, especially hyperinflation. Now over to Brazil, it is a startup powerhouse with over 30,000 startups. They are leading in fintech innovation and are huge on adopting cryptos, making them a global leader in blockchain. As these positive developments unfold, the evolving landscape of financial innovation in South America is shaped by the unique blend of enthusiasm and institutional involvement that sets apart Brazil in Latin America, showcasing resilience and adaptability in the face of challenges. And that's why I remain very confident about Brazil. So, so let's end this episode of Ed's Talk with this question. Um, back, back to the role of the CFO. Will tech and the developments that you are seeing in the different sectors fundamentally change and or rebrand the role of CFOs? And if there is a, a rebranding, what do you think they'll be called going forward? Because I've, I've heard terms like business partner, business partnering, and the... the, the and the idea, that, the reason why I talk about tech, because that's going to take over a lot of the um, repetitive stuff. Yeah, take yeah, over yeah. Lot of and you at the very beginning even talked about there will be more of a communications of a bringing together, of mm -hmm. a making sure there's a cohesive message across. So, so I was wondering at some point, will that name change? I've, I've spoken to C, CPOs as in chief procurement officers, and we've talked about how the kind of work that they're doing, eventually the name Chief Procurement Officer is going to change or morph into something else. And I'm just wondering if you agree that is um, applicable or will be relevant to ask that question to CFOs. That's an interesting question, Elaine. I I'm not sure if this is something that will happen um, soon. Mm -hmm. I do 
believe that the finance function will uh, be more of a catalyst of the two main pillars that I was trying to describe before. And it is something that will be the convergence of the technology-related uh, type of topics mm -hmm. with a more strategic type of, of, of function. So this is more on the mid-term, long-term part mm -hmm. of the organization. Mm -hmm. And the last but not least aspect, it's, it's the proximity uh, from the, that function to, to the business. So what I'm trying to get to is that I do see the CFO function and whatever we will call that in the future as somebody who is really the guarant of making sure that the logic or the business um, implications and the construction of it mm -hmm. is really working properly at the pace uh, that we all agreed on within the organization without losing uh, the customer as our main target and the main reason on why we're starting, developing, and building a, a business. Um, so, yes, I do see uh, um, um, an evolution uh, of that function uh, based on the reality and the current ecosystem that they're evolving. Mm -hmm. But you're not sure if the name will fundamentally change anytime soon, but maybe in the future. Um, okay, that's what I'm getting. Um, Jerome Brassi, an interesting conversation today on Heads Talk. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine, and have a great day. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinational. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.